And just a reminder here of where we are in the book of Deuteronomy. There are three main part or four main parts to that. Three are messages from Moses to the people of Israel as they prepare to go into the promised land. Um, this is the next generation after the Exodus, many of whom were alive, but but not in a position of authority, 20 and under uh, before. Uh, and so three sermons or three messages by Moses to the people and then the closing part of Deuteronomy uh, with Moses' song and his death. So you can see that we are still in the first of those messages from Moses. It goes from one to chapter 1 to chapter 4, uh, and we are in chapter 3 tonight. Um, chapter 1 is reminding the people of Israel that are about to enter the promised land of, of the past, what their fathers did, and why they didn't enter the land. Uh, chapters 2 and 3 are show the faithfulness of this generation as they get ready to enter the land. And so it should be encouragement for them as they move forward. So most of us uh, like stories where you have an underdog who overcomes. Um, A few years ago, there was a movie, it was a family, family-friendly movie called Facing the Giants. Um, it was about a football team, as you can probably guess, but a high school football team that uh, hadn't won a game in six years. Uh, I don't think it's based on a true story or anything, but, but, but in, that, in that story, there's also the football coach who hasn't won a game and since probably since he's been there and uh, is in danger of being fired. There's a move on to fire him. His name is Grant in the movie. Uh, and his wife um, is unable to have children. So in a real way, all of, all of these players in this, in this movie, um, all of the actors in this movie are, are doing something like Facing a giant. They have a giant to face. Well, the movie's really, really, really predictable. Um, if you haven't seen it, you can, if I say that, you can guess what happens, right? Uh, the team wins the title. The coach keeps his job. And Brooke has a baby uh, by the end of the movie. But... Uh, we like that kind of story anyway, and we have a name for that kind of story. David and Goliath stories, a, a metaphor that is used commonly in our society, even if, as we are uh, in a post-Christian culture. I'm not sure of anybody that doesn't like David and Goliath stories. Except maybe Goliath, um, but 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 the stories are popular, I think, because they appeal to us. We can put ourselves in the place of being the underdog. 
of fighting against our own giants. So as I was preparing for tonight, why do I bring that up? Because I thought of David and Goliath. Um, uh, and particularly one verse out of the story of David and Goliath, and, and really just a, even a fraction of that verse. Uh, it, it's, it's two words in Hebrew. Uh, I think all of, our, all of the major English translations have it in four. Four words. But we're going to talk about that in a minute. I'm going to open to... 1 Samuel, to that story, to that David and, and Goliath story, 1 Samuel uh, chapter 17, if you want to turn along with me, I'm going to read a few verses from there, and we're going to talk about it uh, as we begin this story. What does this have to do to, with Deuteronomy? Well, when, I, when I'm going through my studies, usually some verse pops into my head that's far away from this, and I can't get it out of my head. So here we are, it's here, it's in this section, First Samuel 17, beginning in verse 41. David already has the smooth stones, okay? And the Philistine moved forward, that's Goliath, and came near to David with his shield-bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him. For he was a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods, that is, by the, by the Philistine gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me. And I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. And then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have Defied, that is, God, defied God. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines, or the armies of the Philistine, this day to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all his assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with a sword and a spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line and to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. And there was no sword 
in the hand of David. So we're all pretty familiar with that, that story, and as I read through it, I, I realized I can't count. Because in English, there are five words to the phrase that I'm talking about. But, but anyway, um, one of the things that you notice, I mean, David's the big underdog here, right? Um, well, he makes a pretty bold statement to Goliath. In fact, he doesn't sound like he's the underdog. He doesn't sound like he thinks he's the underdog. It says this, This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. So what gives him that confidence? What gives David that confidence that he has? Well, in these verses, verses 45 to 47, that's where, that's where David talks to the Philistine. Um, there are a lot of really quotable things in there. Uh, we, we do quote them. Um, but, well, there's a lot of good theology in those verses, too. Um, and preparing for tonight, it reminded me of one of those, and it is in verse 47. And that all his assembly may know that the Lord saves not with a sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. That's, that's the little phrase. Um, as I said, just two words in Hebrew. Two words, really short. But if you miss those words, you kind of miss the point of this whole thing. That it isn't really about David's bravery at all. It's about that the battle belongs to the Lord. The battle is the Lord's. And if we could really grasp that, what David grasped that made him so bold, what kind of difference would that make? What kind of difference would that make to you? What kind of difference would that make to me? If we can only just all remember that, that the battle is the Lord's. So, how does David know that? How does he have such confidence? How does he know that the battle belongs to the Lord? Why is he so confident against Goliath? Probably, David was well acquainted with scriptures. Uh, if you were here Wednesday night, we talked about that. David knew scripture very, very well. He had to with some of the things that he says. And, and one of those things is probably the story from tonight um, that he would have. You could, you could hear him say, you know, in my mind, you can hear him say, Hey, Dad, can you tell me the one about Og again? about King Og again. So Pastor Dan mentioned this morning that we're going to be on that story tonight. So uh, Og, and last week we covered the story of Sihon, and these stories are fairly similar. Um, the story of 
uh, Israel conquering Sihon, the Amorite, um, last week. And so if you were here, I hope you remember that term, Sihon, the Amorite, because we talked about it a lot. But it started like this. Rise up, set out on your journey, and go over the valley of Arnon. Behold, I have given into your hand Sihon the Amorite, king of Heshbon, and his land, begin to take possession and contend with him in battle. So this is an important story in Deuteronomy and really in, in Israel's history. It's an important battle. So why King Sihon and why the Amorites? Well, um, it's because in Deuteronomy chapter 1, when the Israelites failed to enter the promised land, the main reason they failed to enter the promised land um, was because they didn't trust that God could help them defeat the Amorites. Um, and, and here's what it said. This is in verse chapter 1, verse 25. And they took in their hands some of the fruit of the land and brought it down to us and brought us word again and said, It is a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. So this, these are the spies, of course. You, yet you would not go up, Moses is telling them, but you rebelled against the command of the Lord your God and you murmured in your tents and said, because the Lord hated us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Those guys. And a little bit later, verse 44, so after they decided to, they changed their mind and they thought, let's go up and defeat these Amorites. Verse 44, then the Amorites who lived in that hill country came out against you and chased you as bees do and beat you down in Seir as far as Hormah. So they defeated them soundly. That's why the Amorites. Then Sihon came out, back to uh, chapter 2. Um, then Sihon came out against us, and he and all his people to do battle at Yahaz. So here it comes again. Here come the Amorites again with this next generation. And the Lord our God gave him over to us, and we defeated him and his sons and all his people. And we captured all his cities at that time and devoted to destruction every city Men, women, and children. We left no survivors. We talked a lot about that last week. We're going to see it again tonight. Only the livestock we took as spoil for ourselves with the plunder of the cities that we captured. So, tonight, again, a similar but not identical story. So, one of the things that you learn as you study through Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, if something is repeated... Um, it's important. Um, and this story is repeated in, in a number of ways. First, it's repeated in, it's in Numbers. It's also here. But you have two stories that are really close to the same thing, back to back. And so they are really important. So if you have an ESV Bible, you'll see that this section starts in verse 1 and goes to 22. We're not going to cover all of that. We're going to cover, we're going to split it uh, after verse 17, but it's called the defeat of King Og. 
So, the battle is the Lord's. Um, keep that in mind. So here's, here's the map that we looked at before. Um, so this is from Tigay, um, which in his commentary about Deuteronomy. So what you can see, now I had, I had this plan to use a laser pointer, but it won't work on that TV. Um, I don't know why. TV's too smart, I think. So um, anyway... They have, Israel has come up from the, on the east side now. Of, this is the Jordan River. That's Galilee. This is the Dead Sea. And they're coming up on the east side now. They've gone through Edom, they've gone, which is down here. They've gone through Moab. Uh, and now they have come up past Heshbon. That's where Sihon, Sihon was. And now they are about farther, to, they're about to go farther North, as we see this, um, and here we go. Then we turned and went up by the up the way of Bashan. You can see it on that map behind, or you will again, and it's up towards the top. And Og, the king of Bashan, came out against us. He and all his people to do battle at Edrei. So there you go, Bashan Edrei. That's where the battle is. There they are. Edrei Bashan, that region. So they have come north. Then we turned and went up the way of Bashan. And Og, the king of Bashan, came out against us, he and all his people, to battle at Edrei. But the Lord said to me, Do not fear him, for I have given him and all his people and his land into your hand, and you shall do to him as you did to Sihon, the king of the Amorites, who lived in Heshbon. So don't fear. Don't be afraid. Trust in the Lord. Not only trust in the Lord, but trust in what has just happened. Trust in what has seen, you have seen with your own eyes. Your fathers failed at this because they didn't learn. They didn't learn to trust God, though he had given them plenty of opportunity, like at the Red Sea, where he said, Be still, and I will fight for you. So, the fathers didn't learn from this, but... This generation seems to be learning. So why do we have this similar story? Well, do you remember this verse? This is from chapter 1 also. Where are we going up? Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying the people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. And besides, we have seen the sons of the Anakim there. So the people refused to go in the land. Remember that we talked last week, we talked about, said, you know, like Sihon and the Amorites, they were like Israel's greatest fear. Almost. 
Israel's greatest fear. And they were afraid, what they were afraid of is the Amorites and Sihon were larger than they were. They're, they're, they're big people. Well, notice the end of this verse. And besides, we have seen the sons of the Anakim there. I'm, I'm confident uh, Anakin in Star Wars is, is taken from this, by the way. Um, and it's the sons of the Anakim are there. So they were even larger. The Anakim are, are people that were considered Rephaim. So Sihon battling those giants was one thing. Battling Og, another king of Amorites, is another thing. They have seen the Anakim there. So back to chapter 3. But the Lord said to me, Do not fear him, for I have given him and all his people and his land into your hand. And you shall do to him as you did to Sihon, the king of the Amorites, who lived in Heshbon. The battle is the Lord's. I'm going to give him into your hand. So there are, there are many, many scriptures that, that remind us of that. That, the battle, that say it in one way or another. That the battle is the Lord's. That the battle belongs to the Lord. And even before this, um, in Scripture, so we're early in Scripture. We're just in the first five books of Moses, right? But, but early in Scripture, there are, this is stated, I, I gave you one earlier, I'll actually read it. This is Israel as they're getting ready to cross the Red Sea, um, and Moses says to them, uh, this is from Exodus 14, verses 13 and 14. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. Which they didn't. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent, to be still. Really, to be still. So, Deuteronomy one thirty says basically the same thing. So just, just a little bit earlier. The battle belongs to the Lord, and this generation learned that. So, Psalm 86, this morning when we had our call to worship, there's no God like you, and there are no works like your works. There are no gods like the God that we serve. So the previous generation, when it came to facing their giants, they would not do it. But their giants are now all gone. The Lord our God gave into our hand Og also. The battle is the Lord's. If their fathers had just remembered and believed, they could have been in the promised land 
38 years before by remembering that, that it's not our strength, it's his strength that matters. And if we would just believe, if we would just believe, if I would just trust, what difference would that make and will that make and would it have made in life in the last, for, for those of us who are over 38, 38 years? What difference would it make? The battle is the Lord's, and not only that, but it's easy for him. The battle is easy for him. The battle is hard for us. The battle is easy for him. The Lord our God gave into our hand Og also. So, and we took all his cities at that time. There was not a city that we did not take from them. Sixty cities, the whole region of Argo, the kingdom of Og in Bashan, all these cities were fortified with high walls, gates, and bars, besides very many unwalled villages. So, the great high walled cities that were fortified up to the heavens were just almost mentioned in passing here. And we, defeat, and we devoted to dis, them to destruction, as we did to Sihon, the king of Heshbon, devoting to destruction every city, men, women, and children, but all the livestock and the spoil of the cities we took as plunder. So this is very similar to what uh, it said about Sihon, and we dealt with that last week. Um, but it is repeated, so we are going to deal with it again. But we'll, we'll come back to it uh, at the end of this and revisit this because this, this is really not a comfortable thing for us um, to see that. And we devoted them to destruction, as we did to Sihon, the king of Heshbon, devoting to destruction every city, men, women, and children. So we took the land at that time out of the hand of the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan. So on the other side, on the east side of the Jordan, from the valley of Arnon, which is kind of in the south part where they first come uh, past Edom or past Moab, uh, to Mount Hermon, which is way up in the north. It's a beautiful site. Um, and the Sidonians call Hermon Sirion, while the Amorites call it Sinir. All the cities in the tableland, so that's some of the land, like the plateau on the east side of the Jordan River, up around Galilee, and Gilead, and, and Bashan, as far as um, Selica and Edrei, cities of the kingdom of Og in Bashan. For only Og, the king of Bashan, was left of the remnant of the Rephaim. Behold, his bed was a bed of iron. Is it not in Rabbah of the Ammonites? So at the time that this little note was put here, Rabbah of the Ammonites, it, this, this bed actually existed uh, at that time. Um, Rabbah is 
the city of, I believe, I believe it's the city of Amon, Jordan today. It's on the same site. So it, it's, it's east of Israel. Um, and here's what's special about that bed. Nine cubits was its length. That's If we're going to use the round number of, four, of 18 inches for a cubit, that's long. It's 13 and a half feet. In four cubits, it's breadth. That's not quite as wide. It's, it's six feet. So it's like, it's like as wide as a king-size bed, but twice as long. His bed was that big. Um, and he was the last of the Rephaim. The last, Anakim are considered Rephaim that we saw earlier. These are the really big giants. He was the last one. However big he was, it doesn't tell us. It's not like Goliath. Um, but Goliath was not the first giant slain. And so David undoubtedly knew about this. That they take Og. And he has seen that giants can be defeated. Because it is the Lord... The battle belongs to the Lord, as he says. The battle is the Lord. So, verse 12 now um, starts a, a section here where Moses tells the people what they did with the land. Or what they're going to do with the land, but um, as when it gets completed. But what they're in the process of doing. Um, and so, this is going to be... The map that we have been using doesn't have this on it, but if you have in your Bible, um, you're going to have the scripture in front of you here on the screen, but if you have in your Bible a map in the back that says something like the 12 tribes of Israel, um, that's helpful as we go through and through this section, because this was not part, Israel didn't think they were going to get this as part of the promised land. Um, this is something that when the land empty, when, when Sihon and Og were destroyed, it opened up a void, and this land was good for livestock. And so uh, two of the tribes and the half-tribe of Manasseh uh, asked to stay on that side of the Jordan. Uh, and so that's what we're looking at. We're looking at the land that's on the east side of the Jordan. So if you have that map, um, that's great. Uh, you'll see something like a map, and on the east side of the Jordan River, on the east side of Galilee, on the east side of the Dead Sea, you'll see something like Manasseh, and, and Gad, and Reuben. So this is what it, this, this section is going to talk about. And when we took possession of this land at that time, I gave to the Reubenites and the Gadites the territory beginning at Aroer. So um, that's... South, it's kind of by the Arnon River, which is at the edge of, excuse me, which is at the edge of, I accidentally hit that, sorry, which is at the edge of the valley of Arnon and half the hill country of Gilead with its cities. The rest of Gilead and all of Bashan, so that's the kingdom of Og, that is, all the region of the Argove I gave to the half-tribe of Manasseh. All that portion of Bashan is 
called the land of the Rephaim. So there's that, that name again. Yair, the Manassite, took all the region of the Argov, that is Bashan, as far as the border of the uh, Geshurites and the Maachathites, and called the villages after his own name, Havot Yair, um, so the villages of Yair, uh, as it is to this day. And to Makir I gave Gilead, and to the Reubenites and the Gadites I gave the territory from Gilead as far as the valley of Arnon, with the middle of the valley as a border, as far over as the river Yabok, the border of the Ammonites. They couldn't have any of the land of the Amorites, remember? Um, Ammonites. And the Arba also with the Jordan as its border from Hineret, uh, that's the Sea of Galilee, as far as the Sea of Arabah, that's the Dead Sea, the Salt Sea, under the slopes of Pisgah on the east. So let's go back to the battle is the Lord's and talk to that about that section uh, in verses 6 and 7 um, that is repeated from last week. So if you were here last week, some of this will sound familiar um, but not all of it, um, because, um, well, they're, they're, well, we'll go into a little bit more detail, actually, about that. So the question last week when we answered this was, is this just? Was God right to do this? Were the Israelites right to do this? No, remember it says that he gave them, he gave Og, and all his people and all the cities into their hand. And this is what they did with him. So was this a good thing? This practice um, is very limited in use. And it, is, it was done for two reasons. One is to protect Israel, God's people. To protect them. The other is to execute Justice, and let's just let's just give some examples. So, here's what the practice is. It's found. Uh, we'll come to it again in a couple months, three months, four months. I don't know. Sometime in the future. Um, it's in Deuteronomy chapter seven at the beginning of chapter seven. So let's just read through this um, chapter seven, and you'll hear what this is about. Um, Deuteronomy 7, starting in verse 1, and we'll go to 6. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it, and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, and here's the one we're talking about, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, Seven nations more numerous and mightier than you. And when the Lord your God gives them over to you and you defeat them, these specific seven, right? You, then you must devote them to complete destruction. You shall make no covenant with them. And show, them, and show no mercy to them. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons, or taking their daughters for your sons, 
For they would turn away your sons from following me. So if you let this happen, which they did, by the way. If they didn't, they didn't devote them all to destruction. And so this actually happened. They will turn your, or they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you, which it was, and he would destroy you quickly. And thus shall you deal with them. You shall break down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and chop down their asherim, so all the, the things of worship, and burn their carved images with fire. For you, here's why. For you are a holy people to the Lord, your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. So if you let these people live, that's what they're, they're going to they're gonna be for your destruction, for your harm. Let's go to one of the passages. We didn't, we didn't quote it this morning in uh, Sunday school in the Revelation class, but we could have. It was... It was it was along the same lines as what we were studying. This is from 1 Kings chapter 21. So this is much later. This is into the Kings period. Um, 21 verses 25 and 26. 1 Kings 21, 25, 6. And this is um, about kind of a summary of Ahab's life towards the end of his life. There was none who sold himself to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord, like Ahab, whom Jezebel, his wife, incited. And he acted very abominably in going after idols, like the Amorites had done, whom the Lord cast out before the people of Israel. So Ahab the most wicked king up to this point, does what the Amorites did. Let's go a little later. Let's go to 2 Kings 21. So we were in 1 Kings 21. Now we're going to go to 2 Kings 21. Um, And we're going to go to the summary of the life of Manasseh, a much later king. I'll start in verse 11, 2111. Because Manasseh, the king of Judah, had committed these abominations and has done things more evil, more evil now, than all that the Amorites did, who were before him, and has made Judah also sin with his idols. Therefore, says the Lord, the God of Israel, behold, I am bringing upon Jerusalem and Judah such a disaster that the ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. And I will stretch over Jerusalem the measuring line of Samaria and the plumb line of the house of Ahav, and I will wipe Jerusalem out as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. You get the point that God deals with Israel in a similar way, um, but not completely destroys them like the Amorites. So the idea of, of what about all the innocent people among the Amorites that got wiped out? 
we're supposed to get the uh, we're supposed to get the point that there weren't any. There were no. This was a judgment on them as well as a protection for Israel. And how far does this go back? Go all the way back to Genesis with me. You probably will remember this when we read it, if you were around when we were studying Genesis. Genesis 15, God makes his covenant with Abraham, the first in this family that ends up being the Jewish people, right? Abraham. God makes his covenant with Abraham. And he tells him at the end, uh, toward the end of making this covenant with, with him, uh, in verses 13 14, um, 15, and 16. So Genesis 15, starting in verse 13. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for sure that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and they will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. So he's telling Moses, or he's telling Abram, that the people are going to go into slavery in Egypt. Know for sure that that's going to happen, Abraham. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. So that's Egypt. And afterward, they will come out with great possession. And as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. Abram, you're going to die in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation. Why? Because the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So God gave them, as, as we, as we um, talked about in, in Revelation this morning, God gives um, Jezebel, the prophetess, um, plenty of time to repent. But instead, 400 more years, by this more than that, of time, and the, the, the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So, this is, um, that is what is going on with this practice of devoting to construction. So, destruction. So, here are some things that we need to know about this. First, it was for very specific circumstances. In each case, God tells them to eliminate the people and initiates the battle. God goes and fights for them. He hands them over to the people. This is not something that Israel could do at their own discretion. God gives them the authority to do this. So so where are we then with this in the background? First of all, this is only for Israel. Uh, There are no holy wars um, for countries today. Um, God, but God does give each country the sword. He gives them the authority to execute judgment. That's that's something that is. If you see, look in Romans thirteen. That is something that is given to countries that to to go into place. But. John Frame puts it really well, but, but the new covenant is not advanced by war. This is not something that we do for Christianity. 
This is not something that the church does to conquer by force. There is no holy war for the church today. There is a war, though. There's a spiritual war that we are in. There's always a war, and Christians are always in that spiritual war. We're always in a spiritual battle, all the time. And as Christians, we are at war with the culture. We could probably say it better this way. Let me back up. The culture is at war with us. As, as Jesus said, you know, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. Um, and so the spiritual war is the one that we have. Remember who the enemy is. The devil is like a roaring lion prowling around seeking who he can destroy. So we need to be aware that that's where we, that's where we live, that we are in this spiritual Lord war. Everybody knows probably the Ephesians um, 6 passage about the armor of God. Love to do that. Love to tell that story to our children. Right? Everybody does. It's real though. I mean it, it's not a children's it's not a children's illustration. Um, given in it's good for children, but it's for us. It's for us to realize that we are in a spiritual war and, and, and we tend to look past that because it doesn't seem very intellectual. seems like we're, we're beyond talking about that kind of stuff in our culture. But we are in, think of yourself, think of myself. The spiritual battles are real. There are spiritual forces that are actually are attacking us. Our ba- that, that Ephesians 6 passage says, that's the one that says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces. That's where we are. But even that, as we enter those battles, each one of us, me, you, everybody, our church, even then, we're to learn from this, this battle for, with Og. We're to learn from the battle with Sihon. We're to learn from David and Goliath. And we're to learn that, even that, this battle belongs to the Lord. So, Let's close in prayer and then we will have our final.